We're going to get into a, um, a series uh, shortly in the fall. But uh, until then, actually, I'm just going to put that there. Until then, um, I just have a few random one-off sermons that uh, I've, uh, I have in my brain. So you're good with that, right? So, well, even if you're not, it's what you're going to get anyway today. So if you're not good with it, you better deal with it now and get good with it. But um, I was thinking, um, been thinking a little bit about... Um, I uh, was thinking about the word fair. And like fair, we want everything to be fair. You know, like your kids. That's not right. Yes, that's right. It's not fair. This isn't a democracy, right? You are told what to do, right? Like some things in life aren't fair. I was thinking about fair and dealing with the unfairness of life and... Um, in fact, let's just get right into it. Uh, a very odd, it's one of the, an odd book in the Bible, Ecclesiastes. It, it says a, a lot of interesting things, but I think it's important that we get a sense of what he's talking about. Put up for me Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and we're going to read uh, verses 1 to 6. And it says this. Again, I, this is King Solomon speaking. If you didn't know, he wrote this book. And he was known as the wisest man on the planet. And so his words are are worthy of listening to. He says this, Again, I observed all the oppression that takes place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed with no one to comfort them. The oppressors have great power and their victims are helpless. So I concluded that the dead are better off than the living. But most fortunate of all are those who, have, who are not yet born, for they, have not, for they have not seen all the evil that is done under the sun. Then I observe that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors, but this too is meaningless like chasing the wind. Uh, fools fold their idle hands, leading them to ruin. And yet better to have one handful with quietness than two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind. Aren't those odd words? I think they're a little bit odd. So I'm going to unpack these, these, these uh, verses for us a little bit today. In these verses, Solomon is dealing with an issue that's frustrating him. It's causing him uh, grief. It's this whole issue of unfairness, and, and I'm sure that all of us at times have looked at things in the world and wondered the same things that Solomon and even some of the psalmists in the, in the, in the laments that they write in Psalms, why, O oh God, are things playing out the way that they are? Why does this happen when it should be this? Why aren't the good, why isn't this good happening? Why is the bad overcoming the good? Why is this thing playing out? This isn't. Wow, that was weak. Okay. That was weak. It's August, but help me out a little bit, okay? It, you know, and we all know that sense that we can get, you know, that sense of frustration as we look around our world. You know, there's something in us, I think, that, that tells us that all things should be fair, you know? We want things to be fair. 
We, that's why we put referees in sporting activities to make sure that both teams are treated fairly, right? It's why we have judges in courtrooms. It's, it's why we, 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 we have a sense of justice, that, we, uh, that we're supposed to make sure that things get done in a right way, in a fair way. And yet, uh, although we want everybody to be treated equally, the problem is that sometimes it's not the case. And that's just the truth. We see across our world, we see oppression, we see poverty, we see injustice. And again, there's something in us that rises up to say, this isn't right, this is wrong. Somebody should do something about it. But what can be done? Well, I'm glad you asked, because I think there is something that we can do. There there are two things, by the way, uh, that are true about life's unfairness that we need to keep in mind when we're talking about this. The first is, no matter how hard you try, you're never going to be able to completely fix the problem. Thanks for coming to church. I come to church. I get up early. I sit down, and the guy's just discouraging me as soon as he gets up on the stage. I'm never going to be able to fix the problem. Well, we're, we're, we're never going to be able to completely fix the problem. But, but hang on with me. Don't check out. The table is going to turn, okay? We're not going to stay there all day long. But, but it's true that no matter how hard we try, we're never going to be able to fix everything. And Solomon first observed how, like, he, he, he went, this in Ecclesiastes 4 is just prefaced in 3 by him making visits to the courthouses and, the, and, the, and, and seeing what the judges and the rulers all across the nation of Israel are dealing with and how they're dealing with things. And he came to the conclusion that it was wrong, that it was bad, that it was unjust, that there was corruption. (gasps) Could you imagine corruption in our world? It's almost impossible to imagine, I know. But yet he sees it all across the land. And and he, he sees what's going on in the courthouse. He sees what's going on out in the farmer's field. He, he, he looks around. Look what he said, Ecclesiastes three sixteen and 17. This is just the, the chapter prior. He said, I also noticed that under the sun there is evil in the courtroom. Yes, even the courts of law are corrupt. I said to myself, in due season, God will judge everyone, both good and bad, for all their deeds. And then... He goes on to say in the next chapter, Ecclesiastes 5, we read 4, and then in 5 verse 8, he says this, Don't be surprised if you see a poor person being oppressed by the powerful and if justice is being miscarried throughout the land. For every official is under orders from higher up and matters of justice get lost in red tape and bureaucracy. This was thousands of years ago. We say the same thing now. It's been happening forever. He noticed and knew it was wrong. Life is unfair sometimes. That's the truth. And there's a system in place at times that can get bogged down, that can get corrupted, and justice doesn't get done the way that it should get done. And, you know, Jesus even said something that points to this idea 
that we'll never be able to completely fix the problem. <gasps> he did. Look at John 12, verse 8. Put it up for me. Jesus said this. You will always have the poor among you. Just stop right there. You will always have the poor among you. But you'll not always have me. Now, you can't just look. Now we've got to start to turn the table so you don't think I'm insane today. But you, you can't just look at what Jesus said and just throw up your hands and walk away and say, well... If the poor are always going to be here, if there's corruption and red tape and bureaucracy and things, I, then, I mean, why bother if we can't solve the problem, right? But see, this is the trap that we cannot fall into. This is exactly the trap we can't fall into. I wanted to read uh, a familiar story, at least to some of you, from Luke chapter 16, if you put it up for me, of, starting at verse 19. It's about a rich man and a poor man named Lazarus. And the story goes like this. Jesus said there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. And the rich man also died and was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus, the poor man, at his side. And the rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, Remember that during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted, and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted, and you are in anguish. See, the story goes that the, the poor man is at the gate of the rich man, right? So every time he leaves his house, guess who he sees? The poor man. He's there, hoping to get scraps off his table, or really hoping to pick through his garbage to find something that he can eat, right? Why is the rich man not sharing with Lazarus? He was right at his gate. He was right under his nose. He was right there. Why isn't he sharing with Lazarus? Now, here's some thoughts that I was thinking about. The rich man was thinking like this, and you'll relate, because unfortunately some of us thought these things too, like, like this, like, man, like why doesn't that guy Lazarus just go get a job? Seriously. Like, he just needs to go get a job. Like, he's always out there at my driveway asking me for food. He's so annoying. If I gave him food, all that's going to do is encourage him to keep asking me for more food and he might bring more beggars on my driveway and then I'll have to look after them too. What will feeding him actually do anyway? He's still going to be poor. It's not going to solve the bigger problem in his life. See, the rich man ignored the need of the poor man. We can be guilty of that as well. 
So this leads to our second point. If no matter how hard we try, we can't completely fix the problem. But here's the second point. Even though we may not be able to completely fix the issue, God still calls his people to work at making a difference. And somebody said, yes. He calls his people to make a difference. Okay? I read this story uh, a little while ago of a little boy who he saw this uh, big school of fish and uh, they had run themselves up onto the beach and there was hundreds of them, of these little fish, six inches long or so, hundreds of them all over the beach. And the little boy ran down there and he started picking up the fish one by one and chucking them back into the, into the ocean. And, a, and a man, an older man came down and he said to him, son, what you're doing is hopeless. You'll never be able to save all those fish. And the little boy said, well, sir, I can save this one, and I can save this one, and I can save this one, and I can save this one. He made a difference to those fish. He couldn't save them all, but he could save some. And this is the attitude that we have to have in the sense that it's, it's, it's not hopeless. We can make a difference. We can't solve all the unfairness of the world in our own nation, in all the nations across the world. Who am I? Who are you? What can we do? But we can do something. Amen? This is the thing. We give to missions. We support Erdo. We do all kinds of things. And you'll see in the days to come, this is a little bit of a visionary sermon for me, if I could be honest with you, that this is a track that we need to walk down in a deeper way in the days and weeks to come. That, that there, there needs to be a deeper connection to us making a difference. Uh, when God keeps telling us that we're to be a hospital for the hurting, that hurting people belong here, that we are called to make an impact, this is all a part of how we're going to make an impact. I actually have a few ideas that hopefully in the next uh, little while you'll hear about. But this is the attitude that we must have. Right. We need to stop making excuses and say the problem's too big. And then we just it paralyzes us. No, the problem is big. So get it done. Just get motivated to get what you get done, what you can do. You can't save everybody, but you can make a difference for somebody. Amen. So while Jesus saw the poor, he or Jesus said the poor are always going to be among you. Understand this. He was quoting an Old Testament verse from Deuteronomy. Uh, Put it up for me. It's chapter 15. This is the verse that Jesus was quoting. There will always be some in the land who are poor. That is why I am commanding you to share freely with the poor and with other Israelites in need. So what's he saying? He's saying here, um, yes, you're always going to have the poor. So do something about it. That's what he's saying, right? He's saying, don't let the fact that there'll always be poor people stop you from doing something. Get motivated and do what all, whatever you can do. And this, by the way, is such a consistent theme in Scripture. I, I, uh, I started pulling up uh, all kinds of verses looking this week about what does God actually say about our treatment of the poor, people who are in need? What does he actually say? What's our responsibility? What's he calling us to do? And there are 
dozens of examples. I'll just give you a few. I picked a few, uh, particularly from Solomon, because he's the guy we're looking at today. But Proverbs 14.21, he says this, It's a sin to belittle one's neighbor. Blessed are those who help the poor. Proverbs 22.9, we'll just rip through a few of these quick. Uh, Blessed are those who are generous because they feed the poor. James chapter 1, 27, he says, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Proverbs nineteen seventeen, which is, to me, a very interesting verse. It says, If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord, and he will repay you. Isn't that a really cool verse? Like, I was thinking this when I read that. Imagine you want to go buy a new car, and you don't have all the money to buy that new car, and so you go in, and you're talking to the dealer, and you come to a conclusion, and you pick a car, and the price is is what it is, and you're whatever, $10,000 short. And so what is that dealer very happy to do? Loan you some. Correct? Loan you some. And, and so you get the car, you drive away. But here's the thing. Once you borrow the money, he's happy to give it to you. But he's expecting you to? Yes. It's not a freebie. Yes. You just stole my point. I was about to say that. Yeah. He's going to not only want that original 10 back, he's going to want that plus, right? Plus whatever interest that you've agreed to pay. So I was thinking about it in terms of this verse here. And and God says, if we help the poor, we are lending to the Lord and he will repay. I don't know about you, but I would love God to pay me. Seriously. Whatever that payment is, I'm ready, Lord, bring it on. Because he is a generous God. And so he's going to repay me with interest of everything that I've ever done. Of all the good of, we said, everything that we do for the kingdom will never be wasted. Amen? That he keeps good books because we're lending to the Lord and he will repay with interest. This is important to him. This is how important it is to God that we help people, that we look after the widows and the orphans, that we do what we can to reach out to people in our community and those to the ends of the earth who are struggling with corruption and poverty and injustice and to find a way to stand up to do something about it. He's so clear about that. Look at, as a matter of fact, Solomon said this in Proverbs 21. A couple of chapters later, he said this. He said, those who shut their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their own time of need. Isn't that sobering? Turning your back on the poor comes with its consequences. That's just the truth. This is what he says. So, so you can imagine Solomon is sitting around 
He's visiting courthouses. He's going out into the marketplaces. He's seeing injustice and corruption everywhere. He's seeing poverty all around him, and he's incredibly frustrated with it. He doesn't like it. He knows it's wrong. And you've got to think, he's the king, right? He's the king. He should be able to do something about it. Pass laws, kick out corrupt judges, punish those who are abusing their workers. Help somebody. Why aren't you doing it, Solomon? Right? And on top of that, by the way, Solomon is incredibly rich. Probably, at the time, the richest man on the planet was Solomon. So he doesn't lack power. He doesn't lack money. But yet, even with all of that, he realizes that there are things and issues that he, he, he can't solve. And to be honest, I'm quite convinced that Solomon did all of the above and did all he could before he, he, he kind of fell himself. But he was cleaning up the land and doing a lot of good stuff. And I think he did a lot of, a lot of that, what I just mentioned. But he came to the conclusion that there are issues that he couldn't solve, no matter how much power and how much money he had. Even he couldn't solve the issue. And he explains why a little bit. In the verses that we just read, the first Ecclesiastes 4.4 is the first reason he said, then I observed that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. But this too is meaningless, like chasing the wind. So he observes that he can't solve all the issues. And he says one of the issues is, is this. People are envious, motivated you know, uh, to greed. There's corruption in how they want to get everything, right? They're envious of what everybody else has. And so they want success, but they're willing to do whatever they can to get that success because they want stuff for themselves, right? So they're envious, and it's their driving passion. And envious people end up hurting themselves and other people in their blind pursuit to get more. This is exactly what happens. And he says, this, you see, the, the light is coming on. This man is smart. He's saying, this, this is, I, I can't solve that. How can I as a person remove envy and greed and corruption out of the human heart? How can I solve that? I can't solve it by making laws because corrupt judges find a way to get around it. I can't, I can't solve it with my money. No matter how much I give people, they'll want more. How do I solve it? He's struggling to understand these issues. And envy is a matter of the heart that he can't touch. He says another issue that uh, he mentions in the very next verse 4-5, Ecclesiastes 4-5, he says, fools fold their idle hands, leading them to ruin. And he goes, another thing I notice as I'm walking around my nation is people are lazy. That's what he says. He says, people have fallen into ruin because they have refused to work. They've refused to put in the effort that, that was needed to see them succeed. Right? And he said, this is a problem. And it's a matter of the heart that I can't solve. Look at what he says, Proverbs 6, verse 6 to 11. He says, take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. (laughs) 
Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer gathering food for the winter. But you, lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit, and scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Even Paul noted it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. And he said, even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Sounds a little harsh, isn't it? But it's one of those hard life lessons. We blame the millennials, you know, for being lazy and they want the whole world given to them on a platter. But the fact is, it's not just the millennials. All of us can get that way. And he's saying, listen, I'm looking around my nation and I see greed and envy and corruption and injustice. I can't solve it with my power and with my money. I see people who are so lazy, all they want are handouts. They don't want to work hard. They don't want to put in any effort. And, 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 and I can't solve that. I can't, I can't just continue to give people everything they want without them making an effort to do something to improve their own situation. It's a matter of heart, do you see, that he's struggling with. And as so Solomon looks around, he notes these things, and he says, these things I, I can't fix, not with my power and not with my money. Some people who are driven by envy and greed, say some people have become corrupt, some people are just too lazy. See, and again, by the way, it's not an excuse not to help people. This is a trap that we should never fall into. Remember I said that, right? So all the excuses that the rich man used to not help Lazarus weren't good. Look where he ended up. They're not good. This is not an excuse. But Solomon is just, he's pointing, uh, he's pointing out that no matter what resources he could throw at the problem, there was an issue, these issues uh, couldn't be resolved. And it really disturbed him. And he saw a, a great need for change, but realized that he didn't have the wherewithal to pull it off. So, lastly, let me just finish off with, you know, I have no clock, so it's just lovely. I'm free up here. I have no idea what time it is. It's lovely. It's, our screen's not back there yet. I've, I just feel free without a clock. Is that good? Yeah. You're going, yeah, really? Hurry up, man. Yeah, I got to watch. And anyway, um, but what is our priority? What, what is our priority? I want to talk about that just as we, uh, as we uh, head towards a close. Um, it, it's very clear what God thinks about poverty. It's very clear about what he thinks about our involvement in helping needy people and those who are in distress it's very clear about what he feels our role is in helping to alleviate injustice and suffering and oppression. It's very clear how he feels about that. But <clears throat> what is our top priority? God, I, I was thinking about that this week. And just before Jesus left the earth, he gave his marching orders to the disciples. Remember, just as he was going to be... Uh, 
raised up through the clouds and they stood and watched him go. He said very famous words. He gave his priority. He actually told us what the priority was. This is the priority, Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Here it is. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Isn't that awesome? I am with you even to the end of the age. So there's nothing in here, by the way. So here's his marching orders, and I want you to note, there's nothing in here about helping the poor. There's nothing in here about being involved in social justice. But we know that these things are high on God's list. I've just sort of walked you through that and proven that that's the truth. But I want you to know this. Those things... All those poverty issues, oppression, injustice, corruption, all these things, they are actually secondary to the main priority. This is the main priority. They are secondary. Everything falls under making disciples and teaching people about Jesus. This is the main priority. In Star Trek language, it is our prime directive. Trekkies? Is there knots? I thought that was a good line, honey. Yeah, I was like, I, th- I thought that was inspired. There's no Trekkies? Yeah. It is our prime directive. It is our highest priority. It is who we are. It is what we do. Everything comes under that. And I want you to understand that there's incredible wisdom to why He puts it that way. There is nothing about helping the poor. We know that that's uh, that's important, but it is secondary to making disciples. It is our prime directive, like I said. See, there's, but but here's here's why this is so cool. Is there's only one way to resolve the deeper problems that Solomon was concerned about. There's only one way to solve the issues of the human heart. And his name is. This is why he must be priority. How do you solve the corruption, the injustice, the poverty, the tyranny that we see all around our world? Jesus is the only one who can change the hearts of rulers. He's the only one that can change the hearts of every person on the planet. And when someone is transformed by his love and by his power, they are set free from all these things that hold us back, from all these things that cause us to lash out and to react and see the world wrongly. It changes when we look through the lens of Jesus. It's just the way it works. We are transformed by his love. We are 
set free from our sin. We are set free from our guilt. We are set free from our shame. We are set free from our chains. We are set free from our envy, from our laziness, from our greed, from our corruption, from the way that we care more about us than we care about others. Everything Jesus does flips everything around. Somebody said, yeah. You you with me? Are you getting this? This is why this is important. Right? This is why this is highest priority. So yes, we need to feed the poor. Yes, we need to take up the cause. Yes, we need to do all this. But in the midst of all of that, Jesus must be seen. Jesus must be heard. Jesus must be spoken about. Jesus must be trumpeted and proclaimed. He must be seen as the way, the truth, the life, the answer. He is still the answer for the world. He still is. He always was. And he will be till the end of the age. He is. And we must keep that a priority. And everything else comes under that. You see, he whom the Son sets free, come on, is free indeed. Right? So, The rulers all over Asia, the rulers in Africa, the rulers over the Middle East. What if they found Jesus and their lives were transformed? What happens with the way they begin to govern? What happens with the way they begin to look at their people, to treat their people? What happens? A lot, a lot can happen. And continually to pour in resources so that corrupt people can just steal it and keep it from the poor is not the long-term answer. Solomon realized it. He said the the, the long-term answer is somehow finding a solution to the corruption, the greed, and the sin of the human heart. And once that is changed, then everything will fall into place and make much more sense. We won't have to worry about a lot of these things if the name of Jesus was loved and proclaimed and we keep our priority to make disciples and teach them to obey the commands of God. This is what he says. So, he's the one who changes our hearts. He's the one that changes our perspective. He's still the ultimate answer. And you see, that's why Jesus left us with the priority that he did. He said, I want you to help the poor. I want you to look after the widow. I want you to, 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 to solve and be involved with solving all of the injustice and corruption. Be a part of it. Be light in a dark world. Be salt in a world that needs flavor. Be what you're supposed to be. Let your light shine. But in the midst of all that, don't just feed the poor and not talk about Jesus. Don't just keep pouring money into a problem and not show them the solution to the human heart. This is the bigger issue. And this is why the priority is what it is. And so he left us with this for a reason. Because if you didn't know, he's really smart. And he realized that if we followed this, it makes a difference. So there are many things that can change if the heart of a person is changed by God's love. And that's just the truth. So yes, we got to get more active in helping to solve the issues that are around us, the issues that we're aware of. But we have to keep the prime directive in mind at all costs. I read a quote this week from a Haitian 
uh, he was, he's an evangelist. He's a Haitian evangelist from Haiti. And uh, Haitian from Haiti, kind of, duh. I didn't really need to say that, did I? But I did anyway. So I read this quote from this Haitian uh, evangelist, and he said this. He said, there are, there are people in this world who say that we are poor people here in Haiti. But he said, I want you to know that no one is poor who has Jesus. And the more I actually thought about that, the more it, be, it impacted my life. Like I was, I've been meditating on that, what he said for a few days now. And I, I leave it with you. Some people say that we're, we're poor people here in Haiti, but I want you to know nobody's poor who, who has Jesus. And it reminded me of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Put it up for me. It says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. He's right. Anyone who has Jesus is rich. Maybe not rich in stuff. Maybe not rich in food. Maybe not rich in toys. But they're rich in spiritual riches that will last a lot longer than iPods and phones and stuff. They are rich. The spiritual riches in Jesus are our top priority. The physical stuff we need to get involved with and not not ever to let it become more important than sharing the, the highest priority that God gave us. He is the only one that can change the human heart. And if we can change the heart, we can change a lot of things. Amen? If we can change the heart, we can change a lot. Ben, come on back. And uh, can you, um, uh, it, was, it was build my life. Uh, I think it's the chorus. Go there for, go there for me. Put up those words for me, uh, please. Let's just stand together for a moment as we close. Yeah, just look at this. This is the chorus of this song. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are. And keep going. And fill me with your heart, right? And lead me in your love to those around me. Who is my neighbor? was the deep question that got asked. And Jesus told a story and said, your neighbor is anyone that you come across who is in need. Your neighbor is anyone that you hear about that has a problem that you can help solve. Your neighbor is not just your neighbor across the street or to the left or to the right of you. Your neighbor is really the world who is your neighbor what can we do we can do a lot more than we're doing that's for sure and so I want to encourage us today and challenge us both personally and as a church there are days to come that we are going to need 
to give sacrificially of our time, our talent, and our resources to make a difference in the lives of people. And we need to get on board and we need to do it. Every one of us. And as we do, as we lend to the Lord, He says, I promise, I'll repay. I'll repay. I don't know about you. Uh, seriously, I, I got excited this week thinking that God was going to pay me. Whatever, I don't know what He pays me in. It, 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 might, it might be in helping me to pay my bills, yes, but He's going to pay me with way more important stuff than that. He's going to pay me with anointing. He's going to pay me with wisdom. He's going to pay me with passion. He's going to pay me with strength and wisdom. He's going, to, he's going to pay me with the ability to make eternal differences in the lives of people. Because that's what he cares about. And when I lend him everything that I have, he, he says, I'll repay. You'll never come up short. This is the challenge before us. So when things start to fly, when we take up a toonie offering for Erdo because there's been a disaster somewhere, let's just give and give generously. Amen? I know you can't go there. I know you can't solve all the problems. But you can, you can do something. And so when we can do something, let's do something. And let's not be greedy. Let's not be corrupt. Let's not let the world corrupt us. Let's not let this place, this world, this influence turn us into envious, greedy people who we want to hoard every little dollar we make for my need and my wants and for my little cluster of people that are important to me. When God is saying, you are called to be bigger than that. You are called to make a difference in the world, to reach out to your neighbor, to make a difference And don't get discouraged if you can't solve it all. Where the hundreds of fish that beach themselves, just get down there and throw a few back. Just make a difference in somebody's life. This is the challenge. This is what we're called to do. Solomon was so discouraged, he said, I've concluded after this, he says, that the dead are better off than the living. He says, maybe it's better off that you're not even born so you don't even have to know and see all of this mess. But the beauty of being a new covenant person, come on, is that we have somebody and his name is Jesus. We have somebody that can change the human heart. We know somebody that can make a difference. And that can help us to make a difference. It is better that we're alive. It is better that we do what we can. And so I leave that challenge with you today. However that plays out in our lives individually and, uh, and in our ministry as a church, we'll see in the days to come. But I really felt very strongly about this and about this message and about not getting caught up with looking at unfairness in life and having it discourage us when it really should motivate us to do more. And this is the place that I want us to to be at. This is the place where I want us to get to. Amen? Honestly. Amen? This is where we need to get to. And so 
I leave the challenge before you today. God is calling us. The mantle is on us. We are the light in a dark world. And we must shine and spread grace and mercy and justice everywhere we go.